Cristo te ama y quiere darte una nueva vida. Jesus loves you and wants for you a new life. Welcome to the First Hispanic Baptist Church of Savannah. I'm the pastor Samuel Rodriguez, and this is exactly what God wants for you to do, to tell others about his love and his salvation. When Samuel Rodriguez came to Georgia in 1995 and saw the great need in the Hispanic community, his heart was moved to start a church. He partnered with the Georgia Baptist Convention to start the First Hispanic Baptist Church of Savannah. The Lord bring us here, and we receive the great help of Georgia Baptist. God is blessing and calling a lot of people. Now the church is self-supporting and deeply involved in missions. We went to a festival, Cinco de Mayo, and we give the Jesus film to the people. Uh, we give some tracts, some Bibles, and see people interested. We have a Wana club. And the kids every Saturday come and enjoy and learn and start knowing about Christ in their hearts. Samuel knows that one church can never accomplish the task of rescuing the perishing in the Hispanic community of Savannah. In our county, about 20 to 25,000 people, Hispanics, living here. And more than 90% is not going to any church not knowing about Christ. So, his church is training the next generation of leaders to plant churches and carry the gospel to the lost. We get uh, seminary classes, and we are teaching a group of 10 people to receive uh, training. We can see in the future more churches, more people coming to Christ, more people preaching the gospel. So, we are preparing more laborers. God is bringing the missionary field to here, a Mexican, a Colombian, a Honduran, a Puerto Rican, a Nicaraguan, a lot of people, different nations, speaking Spanish, but needing Christ in their hearts. And I want to hear from the Lord. Georgia Baptist, you did it. You were a faithful servant, not just giving, praying, but looking around and sharing about Christ. Continue to pray for Samuel Rodriguez in the First Hispanic Baptist Church of Savannah. Perhaps God is calling you to start a Hispanic church in your city. The gospel is for all people of all nations, and we are well able to share it with them. Well, this is Gideon Sunday, as uh, Sabina mentioned, and we have the opportunity to hear from a Gideon this morning. Uh, I'm excited about the ministry of the Gideons. They, um, as you know, distribute Bibles, not only in Tifton and in South Georgia and across our state, but across the world, too. And uh, in almost every nation in our world, and as long as we can put Bibles in those nations, we need to be doing so because the doorway of opportunity might not always present itself. Our speaker this morning's name is Dale Wells, and Dale is from Valdosta. He has been uh, a citizen there of Valdosta for 25 years. He is in wholesale sales, and uh, they're members of Grace Bible Church in Valdosta. He and his wife, Lois, of 35 years, have three boys, Benjamin, Andrew, and Caleb. So he's going to come and share a testimony from the Gideons, and then uh, when our service is over, 
as you leave here, there'll be ushers at the exits with offering plates. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work of the Gideons, if you're not prepared to do so today, I think in your uh, bulletin insert there is a flap where you can follow up on that. Uh, And just know that that what we do for Bibles and where Bibles are distributed, God says, will not return void, and it's so essential. So help me welcome Dale Wells as he comes and shares with us this morning. If you have your Bibles today, would you open them up to 2 Thessalonians 5.17? It's an extremely long verse, so we'll, we'll take most of the time so your pastor won't be able to speak today. See, I knew that response was coming, Pastor. It just says very simply, pray without ceasing. David Thomas, a man that had not been in any church ever in his life, 57 years old, went to a motel to kill himself. He had lost his family. He had lost his wife. He had lost his job. He had lost his house. He had lost everything in his life. And he went there to kill himself. He did bring a gun, so he was going to go through with this. As he got in that room, he sat there and contemplated everything that he had done wrong. On the nightstand was a Bible that was open. That's not typical. Usually they're in a credenza, put hidden away. But this was sitting there. As the night drew on, he realized that he needed to make a move. He needed to make some kind of decision about what he wanted to do. He knew he couldn't go back to his wife. He knew he wasn't going to have a job to go to. He knew he didn't have anywhere to live. He took that gun in his hand and he started to tremble because time was at hand for him to make a decision, life or death. He was going to choose death. And he said at that moment, for the first time in his life, he decided to pray. He didn't know who he was praying to, but he just said, if there's any way that I can get out of this, show me a sign. At that moment, that motel room started to vibrate and shake, and that Bible fell off that table. And the light up in the ceiling came on. I don't know about you, but that would make me stop immediately what I was going to do. As he went over there and picked up that Bible, there was that wonderful verse sitting there, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. He read that about 200 times and got at the end of that bed and said, Lord save me. Now, he didn't have a pastor. He didn't have a congregation. He wasn't in a church. He was in a motel room. But at that moment when he accepted Christ, he knew he would live forever. I'm thankful to tell you that he's now a pastor of a Methodist church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He is fully restored to his wife and family. But now let me let you off the hook as to how that Bible moved off that uh, TV and how that light came on. You see, the light fixture was very loose, and the motel was next to a railroad track. So a train had come by and vibrated that room, but what he says next brought all of us to tears. God put that train there at that particular time for me to be able to be saved and live forever. This is what this ministry is about. We do go to a lot of different places, not only hotels and motels. We go to fifth graders at the elementary schools. We recently in Valdosta, we were at uh, Valdosta State University, gave out over 4,600 scriptures in three hours. I enjoy going to a lot of different distributions to see different people and their reactions. 
The one thing that I was asked one time was, why do you go out and do something that you never know the result of? And I said very simply to this person, it takes faith. Right now, every one of you are is making a voice about faith because you're sitting in a pew and you are having faith that it will hold you up today. So this church has faith. We pray every week for our churches, for our opportunities. And I know that there are a lot of places that we go that you all as a church cannot go to. That's why we partner with churches. We partner with churches because we know that you want to see the scriptures handed out. One of the most favorite places I like to go is for uh, fifth grade distributions, and we hand out these red testaments. Last year in uh, Lakeland, I was able to help a new camp over there. And this little girl came up, and this was uh, June of last year. She came up, and she was very shy. It was the last one of the, the group. And she looked at me, and she said very quietly, she said, could I have two? I'd like one for my mother. She's very special to me. And we always have extra. So I handed it to her. And as again, we never know what uh, the heart is of the person we hand that scripture to. But in December of last year, I was able to go to Southside Baptist Church in Lakeland. And I was able to do exactly what I'm doing now. And afterwards, I was at the back of the church, and I saw this little girl running at me with a red testament. And I'm sorry to say, I don't remember every face and name and all that when I go around. So, But when I saw that red testament, I knew that girl had been on a fifth grade distribution that, that we were at. And as we locked eyes together, she came and gave me a huge hug, and she said, I want to show you something. And on the inside of that Bible, it stated on December 23rd, she had come to know Christ as her Savior. And as we were talking, and it was near about the time I was finished, I saw this family coming towards me, a husband and a wife and two boys. And I saw that Red Testament. And I thought, is this the same person? As she got closer, I could see that she was crying. And she came and she gave me a huge hug and she said, thank you so much that you thought so much about me that you gave my daughter a scripture because I'd like you to read something. On the inside of her Red Testament, it says, I came to know Christ on December 24th by way of my daughter witnessing to me. She proceeded to tell me and before she could tell me, her husband gave me a huge hug and lifted me off the ground. And he said, I want to thank you for doing this because, you see, her first convert was me late that night. But their best Christmas gift ever was on Christmas morning. They led their two sons to Christ. So two scriptures, five lives were changed. We hardly ever get to hear about local testimonies. But I say that because this ministry is vibrant. We're in over 193 countries around the world. Last year we gave out almost 80 million scriptures. So we ask that you continue to work with us and allow us to be a part of your ministry and, and a local ministry here. And we just thank this church especially for being very uh, gracious today. And we just ask if you are prepared today to please give at the end of the service and continue to pray for this ministry. We do have, I was speaking with the pastor, we have a lot of challenges coming. Satan doesn't like us to get in where we're at. So pray for this ministry. Yes, we're locally focused, but globally we work in a lot of different countries. Thank you so much today. Have a great day.
you'll stand back up with us. You know, oftentimes we come and we're expecting, we're trying to figure out what God's going to do for us as we come. But these first two songs intentionally are about what we can do for God. This song is called We Are Here For You, and it talks about how we are to let our praise be his welcome to be here. And so let's welcome God here this morning with this song.
Let's pray. Father God, we do welcome you here today. Lord, pray that you just move around us and among us, Lord, and just bring us into a close relationship with you, Lord, that everything we do might reflect you, Father, that the people we see and the, those that we come in contact with, Lord, will we'll see you through us. I pray this in your name. Amen.
as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you and we praise you and we worship you, Lord. We thank you for just all of our many blessings. You've blessed us with far more than any of us deserve, Lord. We worship you with our words and our singing, Lord, and now we come before you just to worship you with our tithes and offerings. Lord, we ask you that you just take them and bless them and use them to further your kingdom both here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We are preaching through the Bible, and we are in the New Testament book of Philemon. Philemon is an interesting book in the New Testament, I guess because Philemon, the reason Philemon's in the New Testament is because he gets a letter from Paul about a slave. And I, I can't think of any other book in the Old Testament that, or in the New Testament that is quite like Philemon. Paul writes letters to churches. He writes letters to uh, like Timothy and Titus, who were going to be pastors of churches. And then here he writes a letter to Philemon. It's kind of a personal note, and it's about slavery. It's, I'm going to read verses 8 through 20. 
There's only one chapter, verses 8 through 20 of Philemon. It says this, the sermon is entitled, In God We Trust. And I guess my question this morning is, is In God We Trust just a motto? Is it something we really believe? Is it something we really act on? And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 8, accordingly, Paul's writing to Philemon, although I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, in other words, in God I trust, and love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an ambassador and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, he's the slave, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. If we really grasp what Paul is saying here, it will change everything about how we go about our daily lives, especially how we deal with the social ills and evils in our society today. Let's pray. God, when, when we are confronted with those things we oppose, so often we resort to the tools of this world, to power and influence and strength, to force people under our hands, to make them knuckle under to our will. And yet here's an example of Paul in a letter that must be included in the Bible for this specific reason to show us how to deal with those things we oppose, not through power, but through love, not through strength, but through the power of prayer. Father, show us how to trust in you to take care of the evils in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess the question that I, I want to leave in your minds this morning, I put in your, in your outline or your worship bulletin, are we trying to affect social change in the wrong way? Are we trying to affect social change in the wrong way? What I'm talking about is when something comes up that we oppose as Christians, to which we are morally in opposition to, how do we respond to it? Well, I'll tell you what happens to me is I'll start getting emails about it or I'll see something about a boycott or something about petitions being circulated or, or something about calling your congressman, writing your congressman, you know, put influence on, on your representatives, your state and local and national representatives. Let them know how you feel about this and tell them to do something about it. 
Um, I had a, had a personal experience with this several years ago uh, that really taught me something. Um, you remember about 15 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention came out in boycott of Disney World. You remember that? You know how I feel about Disney World. I'm a big fan. And so uh, I was conflicted, but, but we went and enjoyed it. Um, and what was really interesting was that same year that the Southern Baptist Convention called a boycott of Disney World, Jim Henry, who was pastor at First Baptist Orlando, became president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I could not wait until he was here a few years ago on Monday Night Live to ask him a question. I said, Brother Jim, I remember when the Southern Baptist Convention called a boycott of Disney World, and you were pastor of First Baptist Church Orlando, and you had hundreds of Disney employees working in your church. How did you handle that uh, resolution by the Southern Baptist Convention? And he looked at me and he smiled because I, I had a feeling we handled it the same way. He looked at me and he smiled and he said, I tell you what, Brother Wayne, we figured we could have a greater impact on Disney World by going and bearing a Christian witness, by going and showing love, by going and doing what is right and what is morally upright than we ever could have with a boycott. And I smiled at Brother Jim. I said, I think you're right. And, and, and uh, statistics went on to, to bear that out because I saw where the year the Southern Baptist Convention declared a boycott on Disney World, attendance at Disney World rose 27%. So there you go. What, I, what I'm trying to say is when the way we're doing things, folks, with, with boycotts and petitions and emails, oh, and the rant and rave in the newspaper. Do, do you read that? I do. Actually, there was something uh, positive about First Baptist Church about a week ago. A visitor came in, and did y'all see that? He came in and said how warmly he was welcomed. He was passing through. And, and those are the ones I'm looking for, honestly, in rant and rave. You don't believe me, do you? But, uh, you know, as long as we keep reading those things, Tiffin Gazette's going to keep publishing. I heard the publisher say that was the most popular section of, of the newspaper. Um, but do they work? Do the petitions? Do the boycotts? Do the emails? Do the, 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 the pressure on our, our politicians? Does that work? Apparently not. Because, let's face it, abortion is up. Good night. Our TV is getting worse. So much so that the network channels have to put warnings at the beginning of their programs. Um, pornography is at an all-time high. All, all you have to do is, I don't want to tell you what you have to do, but, I'm, but it's, let me just say it's readily available to everybody under the guise of free expression. Give me a break. That's not what the First Amendment was about. And, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate the ministries of Focus on the Family and, and American Family Association and the Christian Coalition and the Moral Majority. I appreciate everything they do. But I think how we're trying to to fix our society is not working, and it's not biblical. So let me tell you how Paul addresses the issue of a moral evil in his society, but, but let me warn you, you're not going to like it, because it's not what we do. To take care of spiritual evils, we resort to worldly influence and worldly tools. Paul is saying, use the spiritual to combat the spiritual. Here we have a letter to Philemon. And uh, 
as I said, it's, it's interesting because Philemon is a slave owner, basically. He is uh, an influential person in the church at Colossae. That's where he's living. He's living in Colossae. He's, the church may have even met in his home. Uh, he was such an influential member there. Um, and this letter, I think, is included in our New Testament. Think about this now. God in his providence included this letter in the Scriptures to show us radically different approaches for dealing with problems in society. He shows us what happens when you use spiritual power to combat a spiritual problem rather than powers of the world to combat a spiritual problem. Uh, Philemon is a slave owner. He's an important member, and he has a slave by the name of Onesimus who has run away. Onesimus has run away, and he escapes to Rome. Now, why does Onesimus go to Rome? Well, the same reason why convicts might try to go to New York City because you can disappear in the crowds or, or why they might want to, I don't know, where do, where do convicts run off to? Buenos Aires or, or uh, you know, somewhere in South America or someplace in Europe. You know, they go as far away as they can and hide in as big a city as possible and try to, try to um, fit in with the crowds, become anonymous. You've got to understand the slavery in Paul's day. It was a terrible thing. As, as bad as it was in America 300 years ago, it was far worse 2,000 years ago in Rome. I did a little research and found out where there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's almost one slave for every person. It was so widespread. Every time Rome conquered another enemy, that entire country became their slaves, their servants. And runaways were treated harshly. If they were not killed when they were captured, they were branded with an F on their forehead. The F meant Latin word fugitivus, fugitive. So everyone would know from then on that they, they were an escaped slave. And I read where if a slave actually murdered his master, not only was he killed, but everyone in his household was killed because the Romans had to keep slaves because there were so many of them. They had to keep them under their thumb. They had to keep them frightened. They had to, to keep... Um, Keep, uh, anytime anything, an uprising was threatened, they had to put it down harshly as a deterrent, as a lesson to all the other slaves in the empire. I mentioned that part about murdering a, a master. There was actually a, in AD 61, which is about the same time Philemon's getting this letter, there's an account in, a, in Pliny, which was a Latin historian, where a slave murdered a Roman prefect. Not only did the Senate vote to kill the slave, but his whole household and every extended family member, 400 people were put to death because this one slave murdered his master. So you kind of get the idea of the institution of slavery in Paul's day. So Onesimus runs to, runs to Rome, and somehow in the course of being in Rome, he becomes a Christian, and he comes into contact with Paul. And I would love to know how that happened. Because if I am an escaped convict, the first place I'm not going to go to is a prison. Think about that. The courage it took Onesimus to meet Paul in prison in Rome. And not only did he meet Paul in Rome, maybe Paul discipled him. Onesimus ministered to Paul. They became friends. And in the course of that, Paul says, Onesimus, you know what? Now that you're a Christian, 
you're going to have to go back and come to terms with your past. You're going to have to work out things with your owner, Philemon. Onesimus says, but, but he could kill me. Paul says, you're a Christian now. You know, part of becoming a Christian means making things right from the past. And so Onesimus says, okay. Well, the opportunity comes. I'm going to read Colossians 4, verses 7 through 9. Because Colossians is the letter that Paul sends to Colossae. And Tychicus is the courier who's carrying the letter to Colossae. And in effect, Paul says, Tychicus, along with carrying this letter to Colossae, I want you to do something else for me. I've got a private letter I want you to carry to Philemon. And I want this, this young man, Onesimus, to go along with you. So here's what happens in Colossians 4, verse 7. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae where Philemon lives and where Onesimus escaped from. Tychicus will tell you all about my affairs. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Look at this. And with him, Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who was one of yourselves, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Paul is in Rome. He's sending Tychicus with a letter to the church at Colossae. He's sending Tychicus with Onesimus and a personal letter to Philemon. Paul is sending Onesimus home, and he's doing so not on the basis of his influence over Philemon, which he said, I should have because I am an apostle. I have that authority over you, Philemon, and I could make you do what I want you to do. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul appeals to the gospel. He appeals to love. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That's the risk that Paul is taking, that Philemon is taking, and that Onesimus is taking. Think about it. Verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an ambassador and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. What would forcing Philemon have accomplished? He could have twisted Philemon's arm and said, yeah, you're an important member in Colossae. Yeah, the church may meet in your home. Yeah, you've, you've got a lot of slaves and Onesimus wronged you. He may have even robbed from you. Verse 18 says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything. So it makes me think that maybe Onesimus even stole something from Philemon when he escaped. Paul says, yeah, I could make you take him back. But what would that have accomplished? You know, when you force somebody to do something from the outside in, it doesn't mean near as much as it does appealing to them from the inside out. You see what I'm saying? You can force somebody to do something you want to do from the outside in, but when you appeal to the heart, it happens 